Don't let being treated for pain be a pain. Come to Downtown's Healthcare, 950 17th Street in Denver. Find out how to reduce pain naturally without surgery, without drugs. Call Downtown's Healthcare, 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? It's your favorite history teacher, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, here with another edition of FN Sports, the podcast where teachers grade sports' biggest issues. And today, we're going to be looking at the Deshaun Watson case. The verdict just came out Monday morning. The full report went live to the public Monday afternoon, evening, I guess, depending on what time zone you're in. And after looking through the situation and getting a conclusion from at least the independent arbitrator, we're going to go through and list who all flunked in this situation. Yes, there's clearly several people that flunked, several people that need to be told they flunked, I think, and... Without further ado, we're going to go ahead and hand out those Fs. All right, so if you are living under a rock on Monday, August 1st, or if you're encapsulated by other things, or if you're just not an NFL fan and didn't pay attention to sports because it's not your season, you're a Major League Baseball fan paying attention to the MLB trade deadline, or whatever the case may be, and missed the situation, here's what happened in the NFL on Monday, or at least what kind of, in some degree, concluded on Monday. In March of 2021, after Deshaun Watson requested a trade away from the Houston Texans, the Texans are kind of an organization on fire, they lost DeAndre Hopkins, they lost J.J. Watt, they had kind of been bleeding, they fired their coach, all those kinds of things. After all of that, Deshaun Watson then gets hit with a sexual assault charge, and then another, and then another, and eventually, Tony Busby, who's a fairly well-known lawyer in the Houston area files a class action lawsuit in what has built up to a 24 woman total against Deshaun Watson. That happens over the course of the year. All 24 weren't by the end of the weekend that this started on, but it did begin that weekend with a handful of women coming out one at a time. Along the way here, the Houston Texans also did not play Deshaun Watson in the 2021 season. I think it's important to mention that that actually feels like had more to do with the trade demands and protecting a valuable, you know, air quotes, trade asset, because had they trotted him out there on the field, he gets hurt, they get nothing back from a trade. But it was not a suspension. This was not some, like, trying to get ahead of the game and take him out of the lineup and whatever. So I would also argue the Houston Texans are not innocent in this, but we'll get to their grade at a later point. Deshaun Watson sits out the 2021 season and somewhat vehemently argues that he's innocent the entire time and is very, frankly, rude and unremorseful about it the entire process all the way through March of 2022, roughly a year after the whole ordeal started, where a grand jury decides not to indict Deshaun Watson on criminal charges related to harassment and sexual misconduct. He still faced a bunch of civil suits and 
so on. Uh, as of this week, all but just one or two of the civil suits have actually been settled out of court. That means he didn't actually face trial for those things, and I don't believe we have any facts and figures on what the numbers were in those settlements, but theoretically he is paying women to not go to trial over this in a civil court of law. People will jump to the most famous football player case that was both criminal and civil being O.J. Simpson, where he was obviously found innocent in a criminal case, but then was very quickly found guilty in a civil case around the death of his, I believe at the time it was ex-wife or at least a strange separated wife. And the big difference between a civil case and a criminal case is the bar of which you have to prove that he did it. A civil case is just probable, right? Did he probably do this based on the evidence presented? And it's also typically not things that are always crimes. Like civil cases don't have to be a criminal act. Whereas a criminal case means that you have to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt. The jury or judge or both have to believe entirely that no, you proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he did this. It's incredibly unlikely that sexual assault cases ever get there. We have data across the United States throughout various legal systems, because every state has their own legal system and every definition of whatever they want to find as sexual misconduct. Each of those across the country come to less than a full percentage of these cases, meaning out of a thousand, you're talking about less than 10 actually get past the indictment stage because of how hard it is to get to that barrier and how judges and courtrooms understand that most cases will never get to that beyond a shadow of a doubt barrier. But it should be noted that does not mean this does not happen. That does not mean this is not a pandemic of sorts across the country. That does not mean that these women are not telling the truth. That just means our bar for what is criminally charged in this country is extremely high for a various number of reasons and that means that these cases are practically hard to do it does not mean that women are walking around making this up it does not mean that women are walking around looking for paydays it just means that practically speaking it's incredibly difficult to prove in a court of law not that it didn't happen Back to Deshaun Watson. Now, the legal ramifications for Watson's actions, as has been shown by the NFL time and time again, do not always equate to what his punishment by the league will be. So the league, represented by a handful of attorneys and Goodell and the interests of the NFL, squared up with Deshaun Watson and the NFLPA against one another in kind of deciding what his punishment would be in the NFL because he was doing things in this process like defacing the league or the shield as they like to say, right? He also was settling these civil suits out of court and while that's not guilty, it's also not innocent. And so the league is trying to figure out what they're going to do and this is the first sexual misconduct case under the new CBA in which they're going to an independent arbiter, meaning that they didn't agree right away, the NFLPA and the NFL, on what the punishment would be. So they had to go to the independent arbiter that they agreed on in CBA discussions in, I believe, 2020. Now, this arbiter was the Honorable Judge Sue L. Robinson. She is a retired federal judge. She's beyond qualified. So I want to make sure we get that out there in the open first. Second, I think we have to clarify that the reason this became the agreement in 2020 was that the NFLPA did not like the system before they went to individual arbiters, where the entire decision on punishment was left up to Roger Goodell in solidarity. He was the prosecution, the judge, 
and the guy who decided what the punishment was. And I have to say that that actually does make sense, right? To think that a single person could have inherent biases against maybe some players and certainly would never have them against his 32 bosses, the NFL owner. So I think that that aspect of this has to be included because that makes plenty of sense, right? They were going about this trying to make sure they had some way that they did not come down to just what did Robert Goodell want. Since roughly Ray Rice in 2014, I believe, right, Goodell had been operating entirely on doing these things on his own, and the NFLPA felt like there was no real consistency. There was, frankly, a large outlash from everyone around football saying that some of the punishments didn't seem adequate or fair. And so you get to this point where the NFL agrees, okay, we'll go to an independent arbiter, and either the NFLPA or the NFL can appeal and newsflash that appeal actually goes back to Goodell's desk where he does all of the things. Whew, I digress. That's how we got to where we were on Monday. That arbiter, after hearing the case in which she listened to five women but only took the testimony from four women, then looked at all the evidence and discovery that would have been in a traditional courtroom, and then heard from both sides of this case, came down with her decision Monday morning, August the 1st, 2022. Again, roughly a year and a half going into a second full season of this away from what actually happened or the start of this whole saga. Along the way, we got to mix in there that like Deshaun Watson was furious about having to set out games in Houston. He then threw a temper tantrum of sorts at the end of the season. You then have the Cleveland Browns trade for him in a historic trade package in which they send a bunch of assets back to Houston for getting him. And in turn, very quickly signed him to a historic NFL deal, which was set up wildly in a way that anticipates a suspension. We'll get to that in a moment too. All of this happened to where then on Monday, a few hours after the decision comes down, Watson is at Cleveland Browns minicamp practice being cheered on by the city of Cleveland. And so all of that gets us to where we are today. We're looking at the documents themselves, the history of what's happened here, and handing out various flunks. All right, now it might sound obvious that this is a flunk, but the first flunk here goes to Deshaun Watson. I think that's been overlooked a lot in the 24-ish hours. I guess it's not quite 24-ish hours, but the 24-ish hours since the ruling came down. A lot of focus has been on Sue L. Robinson, on Robert Goodell on the NFL as a whole, on the Cleveland Browns, on the agents. But no one is looking at like this entire thing starts because Deshaun Watson made horrible decisions and decisions and choices that impacted negatively the lives of at least two dozen women and altered their life at least, altered being the at least word there, forever. Some of these women have been brave enough to come forward publicly, talking to reporters like Julie Frentis and things like that, and they all, across the board, the ones that have come up publicly, I should say, talk about having trouble even getting back to doing this as a profession ever again. The haunting, the horror, the can I safely go do this is a true impact on all of these women. And that doesn't even begin to break down like the atrocities that happened in each individual instance that Deshaun Watson does this. So yes, Watson gets a big fat flunk at the top of this. And while it feels super obvious because we've been talking about this again for a year and a half, I feel like it somehow got lost in the last 24 hours that this is all Watson's doing. 
No one did this to Watson. Watson did this with his own decisions and his own actions. That's where this starts. And while it's not where it ends, it needs to be included the entire time we discuss this. Deshaun Watson flunks because of his decisions and his actions that he was found guilty of on Monday. There's no questions about this. You can discuss the criminal versus the civil trial, but this was something he was found guilty of on Monday, full stop. The second flunk here goes to the Cleveland Browns. I mean, the Houston Texans were content on not playing Deshaun Watson. I don't think they were going to play Deshaun Watson until things got sorted out. And frankly, the Cleveland Browns offered an offer they can't refuse of sorts to the Houston Texans. While he had just been found not to be indicted on a criminal case, the saga at that point was very far from over, and the Cleveland Browns offered first-round picks in 2022, 23, and 24, third-round picks in 2023 and 22, and a 2024 fourth-round selection. They then turned around and signed him to an entire $230 million deal, nearly all of which is fully guaranteed. They also then backload the contract where he gets a fat signing bonus the day he signs it, gave him a $1 million salary in the first season, and then went on to give him like whatever that is, $46 million a year each year, the rest of the way out or the average ends up being. A very clearly he's about to be suspended type of contract across the board. They knew this was coming. They knew what they got into and they did their quote, due diligence as of March of 2022, only to then turn around and have more women sign into the class action lawsuit. This is atrocious. This was awful management of a roster from any aspect other than the raw, we have to win football games kind of thing. Never mind that they just had several of the most successful seasons they had in like two decades, right? They had the Baker Mayfield deal, a guy they invested the first overall pick in just a couple years ago. They bungled the Odell Beckham situation. We saw the way his father tweeted out videos about his son getting open and knocking the ball. And they already took this big PR hit by going out and getting a guy like Kareem Hunt. They did all of these things continuously and frankly, March was just the beginning of this. They continue to parade him around as if he's innocent throughout this entire process, all the way up into and until the point on Monday in which he was found not innocent. He was found guilty on Monday. And then they decide to issue this bogus statement in which they say things like, he's very remorseful and we as a franchise are moving forward and this and that and the other thing. When in the actual document itself, the entire response from the judge, it mentions time and time again that he is not remorseful. That was in her words verbatim. Judge Robinson wrote down that he was not remorseful, but the Browns are going to tell you in their Twitter statement, which is an awful graphic with a bunch of bogus words on it, that he was. They're going to lie to your face to try and tell you that he somehow is remorseful for what happened. Stefanski and the franchise said they stood by their decision because they thought he was innocent. They haven't addressed that since. He was found guilty. Do you still stand by that decision? You talked to your families, you said at one point in this process, about that he was innocent and how they feel about bringing in a guy like this after he had not been indicted by a grand jury. How about now that he's been found guilty by the NFL's independent arbiter? Like, do you feel like you need to go back and redress that with your families at this point? And at this point, we are, again, 24 hours post the decision being made. And all we have are some people saying, well, I haven't read it yet. And then that bogus paragraph released. Where are the rest of the statements? Where are the different 
ways you're going to try and rehabilitate this person or what are the ways you're going to try and make this person prove that he is a better person before he becomes the face of your franchise, the highest paid person in the history of your franchise as far as anyone on the field goes, you're going to just trot this guy out there. Big, big, big flunk for the Cleveland Browns, and I cannot stress this enough, they knew exactly what they were doing. Another thing that feels obvious after reading the report, but I think has to be said, is that the NFL of old, and we'll say that for the time being, flunks. They mishandled these kinds of things time and time again. They gave Ray Rice two games. They gave Zeke games for something that was dropped in court because the evidence contradicted itself. They they weren't consistent across the board. They gave Terrell Pryor five games for tattoos he got in college, but also gave Greg Hardy, like, what was that, six games for physically assaulting his girl like the the numbers didn't add up the nfl set up a situation where they were going to get to some point of hypocrisy like they have this week because of their past actions so just like deshaun watson's actions impacted this thing throughout part of the legalese of this is because of the nfl's continued mishaps and actions once the nfl decided they had to get involved in all of these off the field issues even when there weren't criminal charges present they began making mistakes by not having systems in place. Their system was, what does Goodell say? And that gets us to the 2020 CBA that gets us to where we are today. They set up a bunch of bad precedents, and this word that's going to come up a lot, the word precedent. Giving Ray Rice two games was insufficient. Giving Greg Hardy four games on first defense and ten games on second defense was insufficient. He should have been banned from the league. Ray Rice, while he never played again because of a number of other factors also, should have been banned from the league. They should have done harsher punishments in the moment if that's the route they wanted to go, or they should have done hands-off in the moment if that's the route they wanted to go, or they should have put some system in place in the moment that felt fair between all parties involved. Instead, they went with the Goodell system time and time again, and... That led to a bunch of, at the time, perceived to be light penalties or penalties that don't make sense or inconsistent penalties. And even in the new system, as we'll see soon, all of those things come back to bite you. You cannot escape those mistakes once you've made them. Now, in 2014, if the NFL had just said, you know what, we're not getting involved in these types of situations, unless there's a criminal case filed, like there was with Michael Vick or, or whatever, we're not getting involved... While I would have a problem with that from a moral standpoint, it would at least be probably the most consistent thing they could have done. If at the time they said, hey, we need to sit down with the NFLPA and settle some way to get this figured out that feels fair to both sides in 2014, then that would have been a way that I, again, might have had problems with individual outcomes along the way, but would have understood. Instead, they went to Goodell and his judgment, which was, inconsistent to say the least and that led to a system where players could not trust the Goodell line of thinking it then set up a bunch of precedents and ways to punish people for various actions that were still reaping the impact of today your NFL analysts are comparing the Ezekiel Elliott and Deshaun Watson cases as if they're somehow comparable because they both end up getting six games at one point in the suspension. The Zeke thing goes back and forth and toggles and this and that. It's just whatever. But the six-game number feels consistent, except they were completely founded in different 
eras. They were completely founded in different legal eras, I should say, for the NFL, because they were completely decided by different organizations and different ways of going about them. But the previous poor practice, the old ways of doing things in the NFL, still impact us today, and that's why the old NFL flunks. The way that this had been done before flunks. It set up bad precedents. All of that precedent talk leads me to the next person that's going to flunk here, and I'm going to flunk Judge Sue L. Robbins because of a couple things. I think I should probably point out a couple things she does well. First, one, she does a very good job of using intentional language in her ruling. That is to say that she is very clear and concise in saying things like, he is guilty of this. Beyond a shadow of a doubt in her mind after reading the case, he should have known if he did not know these women did not want to be sexually touched and proceeded to continue to sexually touch them. So I think that that kind of stuff being very clear and concrete is really, really good in moving forward. However, she and the system put in place were put in place to establish a new set of norms. In the CBA, both the players and the NFL wanted a new system, wanted new things to happen, and she relied entirely on precedent in issuing any sort of punishment. She handed out just six games for Deshaun Watson and argued that no player before had ever gotten six games for their first offense. And that's fair and true, I guess. However, the entire point of going to an independent arbiter was to create a new system and a new set of norms and new set of precedents. And so instead of setting the bar, you're repeating the mistakes from the system that people didn't like in the first place. As if that wasn't bad enough, she admits throughout several parts of it, including her conclusions, that Deshaun Watson's behavior is unprecedented. That a class action sized lawsuit with this many women at once is not something that's done before. So in an unprecedented case, how can you go to precedent as the punishment? If it's an unprecedented crime, the punishment is also going to be unprecedented. That seems fairly obvious to lots of people reading, especially when you read how clear and concrete she was when she said it was an unprecedented act. Even with that said, she admits that it was at least four women because she read five and she thought four of them tied together very well and worked. And she actually threw out the fifth. She didn't say it didn't happen. She just threw out because the other four worked so well together. So if there's four women and he's a first time offender on the first one, what is he on the second, third, fourth, but all the way to the 24th, right? If the precedent is to give six games for the first offense, what are you doing by the time the fourth woman shows up? Is this really, at least functionally, because they brought all four at once? If they brought you each one one at a time, would you have been like, actually, now he gets six games plus 10 games plus a season plus, like how quickly does this thing add up if you do them one at a time and if that's the case, why isn't that part of the punishment for them being brought forth for at once? You admit you say he's guilty of doing this at least to these four women, but give him the same punishment you gave on precedent to other people for doing this to just one person. I, I don't get how that ties together. And I think that flunks because the logic to me is so flawed. The logic being we're going to follow precedent and impact involving one woman. 
and in a case that is unprecedented, involving multiple women. I, I don't see the tie there. I don't see how it's not at least, let's do a six games per woman. Okay, fine. We brought four women forward. I guess we brought five women forward. We're talking about four women here. We're going six games, 10 games, a full season, a full two seasons. What does that add up to? That's like roughly three full years off of football. That seems like a minimum at this point. And that's not, she doesn't include time served. I think that's very clearly distinct. She didn't give him six games because he sat out last season. She distinguishes the two and says that that was not part of this, right? And so it's not like she's giving him the 17 games last year and the six games this year to go to 23 games. She's giving him just six. Now, can we talk about how like, the Brown schedule is such that the six games don't really matter as much because they're relatively part of the schedule and how Deshaun Watson's contract, as we said before, is set up in such a way that's not really even that big a financial punishment. To Judge Robinson's credit, those are things out of her control and that's why other people got flunks where they did. But the flunk here to me is if the NFL had brought these cases one by one by one, she would have clearly, in her writing, found them just as guilty and she only hands out one punishment as if this was one crime while she's admitting he's got predatory behavior and done this four times at least. The only other substantial punishment she offers after the six games for predatory and repeated behavior and repeated offenses is having to work with on-site hired by the franchise, so in this case the Cleveland Browns, massage therapist for the rest of his NFL career. So we're not going to rehabilitate this guy at all even though you say he's got predatory behavior, and we're now just going to hand employees of the organization over to someone that you literally call a predator. That in itself is also blasphemous. Anyone hired by the Cleveland Browns is not anticipating working with a sexual predator, and you're saying they now have to because massages, as she says, are a necessary part of the rehab process in football. That makes sense except that you now say that without any other rehab type behavior, he has to go to the organization for this. I, I just don't get it. There's so much of this where she seems to nail on the head exactly what is happening, but decides not to go with punishing farther. Not to give an unprecedented punishment for a crime you're saying is unprecedented is in and of itself going to be insufficient, right? By definition, and this is clearly a person that knows what they're doing, that is going to be insufficient. And again, this is multiple women. I said on that point multiple times, so I'm not going to belabor it too much, but it just doesn't make sense. So this gets a big flunk. And the shame is several parts of it were so well done. It was so clear. It's inarguable. She says the word guilty. She says it's beyond probable that he did this at least four times. There are several parts of this statement that are victories for the victims. But then she turns it all upside down with this ludicrous precedent nonsense in an issue where, again, she was brought in to break from precedent because the precedent was something all parties involved agreed did not work. And she based the precedent on something that she says herself is unprecedented. I can't say it enough times. This gets a big fat flunk. Here's a surprising one, I'll say. The NFL of New, the NFL's legal team that presented the case, I'm going to say didn't flunk. They presented the case in a way that, in a court of law with an outside arbiter, decided that Deshaun Watson was guilty of these crimes with at least four women. The legal team also pushed for a punishment that was, because these crimes are unprecedented, 
unprecedented. They said he's going to have to sit out at least a full season and postseason and be revisited next year as the case continues to develop. That's an unprecedented punishment. But they argued it's because the crimes are unprecedented. And guess what? Judge Sue Robinson also agreed with them. She said the crimes were unprecedented. She, to a T, checked off and listed all the things he did, and it's all the things the NFL also said he did. This is a big win for the legal team as far as proving their point, because the judge residing found all of their points to be substantial and factual and, again, beyond probable. So if that's how this is going to go, then the real issue is not with the NFL's legal team. The NFL's legal team pushed for unprecedented punishment for an unprecedented case and apparently argued very well exactly what happened, even with a defiant Deshaun Watson sitting on the other side of the courtroom. I think that's a big, big win for the NFL's legal team, even if the outcome thus far has not been what they want. What do you mean thus far? Let's break that down. The NFL's legal team might not have flunked up too much, but this new situation they're in really does flunk. Because the situation they set up was they either, in the first ever case to use this system, have to appeal and then override the arbiter, which kind of trashes the entire system to hand an unprecedented punishment to an unprecedented case, something that the judge was not willing to do or they have to live with the precedent being set in the new system that is not any different than the precedents they set in the old system that both sides agreed were not adequate. No matter what happens here, everyone involved is going to be upset. They're going to appeal and send it to Goodell's desk and he's going to hand out some big punishment, bigger than six games, probably close to a season, etc., which will then in turn upset all of the players in the NFLPA because they're like, if he's just going to overturn this every time he doesn't like it, it's really no different than the first system anyways. Or they're going to live with this and continue to build off of bad precedents that neither side liked in the first place. The fact that Judge went to the word precedent and used that over and over again and used old cases leaves them in a predicament now where they have to prove that either A, it didn't work, or B, live with this continued precedent and just accept that they're not going to do much about these kinds of issues. Neither one of those is a great option. The NFL is in a bad, bad spot because of it. Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we, we seem to have an affinity for our beers between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big dudes in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow 
or you have a luscious mane already. The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle, feast your face. Friends, that's at least a preliminary list of everyone who has flunked or not flunked in the current Deshaun Watson situation. Do you feel like you have a better grip on what happened the last couple days? <laughs> if you enjoy the show, you can follow us for more content like this at FN Sports on Instagram. That's at F underscore N underscore sports. And at FN Sports 2 on Twitter. That's F-I-N-S-B-O-R-T-S number 2 on Twitter. On both of those social media handles, you can go to the link tree in the bio. From there, you get to all of our various sponsors in the clutch.com. You can get to The Beard Struggle. You can get to My Bookie, Yeti, etc. You can also get to our merch store. Our merch store has a bunch of different t-shirts, caps, hoodies, tanks, and mugs, all of which send profits to various charitable endeavors. So make sure you go support great causes, support the show, and grab some swag from the merch store. Again, you get those through the link tree and the social media handle bios. As for me and my personal stuff, you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at Painsworth512. That's P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512. I'll be posting things that I'm on, things I'm featured on, things I'm writing, various thoughts about like the Houston Rockets or whatever, a bunch of losses on the sneakers app because I tend to always lose on the sneakers app and things like that. So make sure you follow me at Painsworth512, P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512 on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to support the show for free, you can do so by hitting like, subscribe, download, rate us, review us, give us five stars, all normal things to help out the podcast and whatever you do when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Don't let being treated for pain be a pain. Come to Downtown's Healthcare, 950 17th Street in Denver. Find out how to reduce pain naturally without surgery, without drugs. Call Downtown's Healthcare, 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.